If this is your first time, you're so, so welcome. My name is David, and I'm part of the, the pastoral team here um, at Dundonald Elam. And we just want to speak around this idea of, of Good Friday and this topic. We're super excited. This is the, the biggest and greatest weekend of our church calendar, and we're excited for you to be here to celebrate with us. Um, hands up in here if you like stories. I don't like stories. I love a story. I love a good story. I remember when I was younger... Um, my mum and dad would have, there was like, I was trying to get it for tonight, but like this old storybook, this bedtime storybook, and it was like, the pages were ripped, and it was like tea had been spilt on it, and you know, there was tears all over it. It was this old, disgusting book, but we loved the stories, and we got mum and dad to read us them every night. They were the same old ones. You kept pointing to stories, and, and we all love stories. We all love stories because they can relate. I, if you, you come and listen, I'll try and tell a story all the time. Number one, because they're relatable. And number two, I just like getting stuff off my chest and just telling you about how great my life is. Um, but we all love stories because stories are so relatable. But when I think about stories, I think about some of the people around our globe and, and over our history that have, must have some amazing stories to tell. Um, and one of the first ones is a guy called Neil Armstrong. Um, most of you obviously will know that name as soon as I said, and here's just an image just to, to remind you. Neil Armstrong, one of the first men um, to ever step on the moon, and what a story he has to tell. Like, you know, my dad works for Toy Town, and that is class, and so he can tell me some cool stories about, like, you know, broken Lego. Um, no, there's no such thing as broken Lego. We can't break that stuff. Um, but any sort of broken toys, and he tells me some cool stories about, you know, cardboard boxes coming in. But nothing on Neil Armstrong. Like, what a story to tell, that he, he was one of the first men to step um, on the moon. What a story to tell. Here's another one um, many Liverpool fans will love to see um, of a guy called Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Come on, what a day. Any United fans in here? Come on, there's favour over our lives. Um, what a day this was. I remember this vividly. I remember sitting in my, the front room, uh, my living room in my house. My dad's an Arsenal fan. Um, so it was a barrel of laughs, me and him, that day. But I remember this, 1999 Champions League final. United had just done, won the double so far. They'd won the, the FA Cup, beating uh, Newcastle 2-0, I think. And they had beat Spurs 2-1 at Old Trafford to win the league. And here they were. They went um, and they were playing Bayern Munich in the final of the Champions League. Bayern Munich went 1-0 up. And then it was in the last dying minutes, there was about three or four minutes of extra time, and we thought, I was crying, I was like, Dad, don't rub it into me, but he was loving this, he was laughing at me. No, that's awful, he wasn't really. But it was the last few minutes, I thought, we're not going to do this. David Beckham gets a corner, crosses it in, um, and it falls to Teddy Sheringham, one each. And so I was jumping, I was hanging from the, the chandelier, chandelier, dead on, it was a wee, <laughs> it was a wee light bulb that I brought <laughs> So we were, I said, come on, we're what? And I didn't even get to really finish celebrating the 1H um, when they got another corner. And then David Beckham, and I'm like, Dad, no, there's no chance, no chance. And Beckham crosses it in, and Sharon and flicks it across the back post. And you could probably go, do the commentary with me. And then there he is, back post, all like on a shoulder star. The, the Norwegian sticks his toe out, top corner, and then this celebration. And that's what I did. I did a knee slide in the front living room. And unbelievable. And what a story you get to tell. What a story you get to tell your kids or your grandchildren or people about getting to do this. Another photo here. Does anyone know this person before I even, does anyone know? Hands up. Anyone know this guy? I, I'm not going to quiz you. Like, I'm not going to point you out, but 
This is Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler. And many of you will remember him from the, the movie um, Schindler's List. Has anyone seen Schindler's List? Uh, I've never actually seen it myself, so I need to give it a watch. But Oscar Schindler is, is renowned for, during the, this, during the Second World War, he saved 1,000 plus Jews' lives from the Holocaust. He, he, was, a, he was a German, he was a Nazi, um, but, but he had a change of heart. And he went out and, and he tried to smuggle some Jews who were, in the, who were going to be carried into camps who, or, or the Germans were looking. He smuggled over a thousand of them um, and kept them safe um, from the, the German Nazi um, regime. And so this is what a story you get to tell about how you save over a thousand people's lives. That, that actually some of their, their descendants and their children, their children's children are probably alive today because of his life. What a story to tell. And then when I think of this Good Friday Easter, when I think of this, I can't help but think of, of Mary. I can't help think of Mary and, and just imagine with me, give me, let me have some creative license um, with this. Could you imagine Mary? We celebrate a Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. And could you imagine a couple years later, we toddler Jesus and Mary is, is putting him to bed. And he, she takes him into his room and she sets him down and and he says, Mommy, Mommy, read me a bedtime story. Read me a bedtime story. Okay, Jesus, what, what, what story would you like? And Mary goes on, and Jesus goes and says, tell me, tell me the one about Moses and the Israelites. Tell me about that story. And so you can see Mary starts getting, she tucks Jesus into bed, and she starts telling the story about how, how the Israelites, God's chosen people, had been in, in slavery for over 400 years. 400 years slaves to, to the Egyptians. And then God rises up a guy called Moses. Moses at a burning bush, God speaks to him, says, you are going to deliver the, my people out of slavery. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells him, and he says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And he doesn't do it. And then Mary tells Jesus and about the plagues, plague after plague after plague that God sent. And it crushed the Egyptians. It started to weaken this, this superpower of the world. But time after time, he refused. Time after time, Pharaoh was weakened but refused to let the people go. And then God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to send my last plague, the angel of death. Okay, mommy, tell me more about what's that, what's that? What he had to do is God was going to send an angel. And the angel was going to go around every home. And all of the Israelites had to take a perfect lamb. They had to sacrifice it. They had to take its blood and they had to paint the blood on the, the doorposts and the frames of their home. And so with, when the angel of the Lord came and saw the blood, he would pass over that home. And so what happens is this happens and the, the angel goes into the homes where there is no blood on the doorposts and then God says that their oldest, their firstborn will surely die. And so the, this happens the blood is painted in the doorposts. The angel of the Lord comes and passes over the Israelites and their homes, but goes to the, the homes where there is no blood, and surely the firstborn dies. And finally, then, the Israelites are allowed out. They are taken, they are set free, and Moses is delivering a, a large group of people out of captivity, out of slavery. And then they're all singing songs of praise of how good God is. God has delivered them. But then Mary gets excited and she says, but Jesus, wait a year. 
they got to the Red Sea. The Red Sea. They could look left, all they could see was sea. They looked right, all they could see was sea. And Red Sea in front of them. And they turn round and they see coming from behind them, the Egyptians. The Egyptians, they just let them go. We're now chasing them. Pharaoh had a change of mind and said, no, they are coming back. And you can almost feel the, the tension of the, the Israelites, water in front of them. These, Isra- these Egyptians chasing after them but from behind with ferocity, with, with anger, with rage. What actually might happen to their lives when they get back? What punishment awaits them when Pharaoh and the Egyptians take them back? And they're on this moment. And Mary says to them, but God wasn't finished yet. And God told Moses to stretch out your hand with your staff. Stretch out your hand and, and the sea will split. And the Bible actually tells us that all night, this, this storm blew, that all night, sometimes we wish it was that Prince of Egypt moment where they hold the staff in, it's like, Shh. but it was all night, just a side point, sometimes your miracle might take all night, sometimes your miracle might take all night, but God splits the sea, and in through the Red Sea, on dry ground, the Israelites walk, and not only that, the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh come chasing them, And as they start to go through, the waters come down and destroy every single Egyptian. God wasn't finished with them. And then Jesus, you could imagine him sitting and going, Mommy, tell me the one, tell me the one about Joshua. Tell me the one about Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And then Mary goes on and continues of how well the Israelites, they they walked through the Red Sea. And they needed food and, and, and water. And God miraculously provided food and water several times to them. And then he goes on to tell of how they, they had such a difficult time. The Israelites have, had a difficult time going through the wilderness. They got to the land of Cain. They got to the promised land that God was about to give them. And then Mary reminds Jesus, do you remember, this, the, remember the, the 12 spies went in and 10 came back full of fear and two came back full of faith and, and God, God took them into the wilderness and killed thousands of them for not trusting him. And they have to trust God. They go through such a difficult time and then they, they have to cross the river Jordan. And then Joshua is leading the people and they get to the brink of the promised land again. They get to the brink of the promised land, but it's a fortified city. Doors are closed. No one's coming in. They're not letting anyone in, not letting anyone out. It seems that this was all a waste of time. But God wasn't finished yet. And God said to them, what you're going to do, you're going to march around the city once a day. Do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. So you can imagine them, day one, walk around it. Day two, walk around it. Day three, walk around it. Day four, walk around it. Day five, walk around it. Day six, walk around it. Still nothing. Day seven, they do one lap. They do two laps. They do three laps. They do four laps. Meanwhile, all the people are laughing at them. Look at these guys. Laughing at them, jeering them, mocking them. They go around five. They go around six. Now, this is it. The second time they're about to step around. They're about to do lap seven. And as they do lap seven, they blow the horns and they give a huge shout. And then Jesus, as we bet, is on the edge and he's so excited. He's like, what happens next, mommy? And Mary says, out of nowhere, supernaturally, miraculously, the walls start to crumble. 
the walls start to fall. God was true to his word. God was faithful to what he said. God was faithful to his promise. The walls came down and God was not finished yet. And then Mary in her excitement starts to go on to another story and tells another one about David and Goliath. Her favorite story to tell about David and Goliath, about how Israel had moaned and groaned to God because they were the chosen nation, but they wanted a king because everyone else had a king and they wanted their own king. And so she, they moaned and groaned and God anointed a man called Saul that he was going to be the king of this nation, Israel. And so there, everything seems to be going good. They're God's chosen nation. They have their beloved king, Saul. Everything's going well, except the, the disaster comes in a nine-foot, nine-inch giant called Goliath of Gath. Nine-foot, nine inches. He is, a, he is a Philistine, and so all the Israelites are on one side of a camp with a valley in the middle, and then all the Philistines are on the other, and they're just squaring off, battle ready, ready to fight. And then out comes from the Philistines this nine-foot, nine-inch giant. He stands in the valley, and he starts taunting them. He starts saying, well, who wants the third egg? Who wants to take this on? And he stands there, and he's, he's mocking him, he's jeering him, and he's saying, whoever wins, send your best soldier forward. Whoever wins between me and them, well, then, then they win the battle. And no one comes forward. For 40 days, he stands there and taunts them, mocks them, jeers them, and nothing happens. This is going to be the end of the Israelites. The Philistines are going to overturn them. But God wasn't finished yet. And God raises up the most unlikely hero, a shepherd boy called David, who's just taking his lunch up to his brothers at the front line. He's just taking his lunch up to them. And he sees that no one's fighting this guy. So he picks up his sling. He picks up five stones and he takes it to the battlefield. Israelites one side, Philistines the other. Huge, giant man in the middle of, called Goliath. And then this wee shepherd boy with a couple of stones. And with his sling, he throws one and hits Goliath right in the forehead. And down he goes. Down goes the giant. And David has defeated because God wasn't finished yet. Now, skip forward about 30 years. He, Mary has just told Jesus all these stories, but God wasn't finished yet. Skip forward 30 years. And what we celebrate today is Good Friday. But for Mary, she couldn't have celebrated that time. We have the privilege of knowing the end of the story. And I'll tell you that spoiler of what happens on Sunday a bit later on. But what happens is she is sitting at the cross. Her son, she, who she coddled, she, she held, who she read bedtime stories to, who she fed, who when she, he fell, she went and picked him up. She washed his knee. She hugged him. He is now stood accused. He is stood accused of being a sinful, false prophet. And they stand him, they accuse him. And they beat him, and they punch him, and they spit at him, spit at him, and they pull his beard, and they pull his hair, and they shove him. And then they sentence him to being flogged and whipped with a whip that would have pieces of bone and stone and flint on it that would have tore the flesh of his back. It says that the Bible says that he was, he was punished so much that he was almost unrecognizable as a human. 
And then they take six-inch thorns and they compose a crown and they force it onto his head with the blood running into his eyes. This is her son who she loved and raised and looked after. And then they mock him and, and they strip him bare and put on a, a scarlet robe on him, mocking the fact that he is supposed to be a lord. His back is scarred, marred. The fibers go into, the fibers of the robe go into his back. He is caught, he is laughed at. He has put a, a, a cross on his back and his shoulders and told to carry his own cross up a hill. He's, he carries that up, weak, losing a lot of blood. This is her child and her son. He doesn't say anything to his accusers. They put nails in his hands, both hands, put nails in both his feet. They hang him on a cross. He is suffering from asphyxiation. He cannot breathe. And what does he say on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And she, Mary, is lying and sending her broken. She used to tell stories to her son when, when, she, when, they were, when he was little. She might have told him stories. Just remember, God wasn't finished yet, son, in all of those stories. But here, how is she going to cling to that phrase? How is she supposed to cling to the fact that, that God wasn't finished yet when her son was on the cross? It seemed hard to cling to that. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's thirsty. He asks for a drink. He gets a drink and then he says these three words. It is finished. It is finished. And the thing that she told her son all going through and up those stories that God wasn't finished yet she sees it is, it is finished. It seems to almost confirm what they thought about him. But what they didn't know was that Jesus was declaring that the grasp of sin over humanity was finished. It was not that he was finished. It was not that he was done. It was not that his life was over. He was saying sin, the hold of sin over our lives, it is finished. And tonight we sit in on that phrase. Tonight you can sit here and say that your sin is finished. That your past is finished. That your guilt is finished. The shame that you have been carrying, Jesus hanging on the cross, he is saying it is finished. Your sorrow is finished. Your condemnation is finished. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, he was saying that the justification of sin has been paid. Mission accomplished. Job done. The justification has been paid. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, church. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin had to be paid. There needed to be a debt paid. There needed to be a ransom paid for the sin of humanity. And the wages of it is death. Death must be paid in order to satisfy the wages of the sin to the Father. But Jesus wasn't just paying for the sins of one or two. He was paying for the sins of humanity. And so for Jesus to pay the wages of the sin for humanity, which is the past, present, and the future, the price needs to meet it. The price needs to meet the wage. And Jesus is a perfect, sinless man, lived a perfect life, 
This was the payment for the salvation of humanity, for me, you, everyone who's went before and everyone who has went past. The sins of the world, past, present, and future were finished. First John 2, 2 says that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he goes on to say, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. It is your sin he is talking about. It is your past. It is every wrong thought, every wrong decision, every wrong thing that has went in your life. It is finished. It, does no, long, it no longer has a grip and a grasp on your life. Sin was finished. But like the stories of old, like the stories that we have just mentioned, God wasn't finished yet. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. God wasn't finished yet. Jesus declares on the cross, it is finished, and that's the grip of sin and the hold of it in our lives. But God wasn't finished yet. And here is a spoiler for the weekend. Jesus is alive. The spoiler of the weekend, the spoiler of this story is that the Bible tells us in the third day, he rises from the grave. And like all the stories that we have told, nothing Absolutely nothing stops the plan of God over your life. Nothing at all. God wasn't finished with Jesus. And despite death and the grave standing in the way, God's purpose prevails. You see, the sea couldn't stop Moses. The walls couldn't stop Joshua. A giant couldn't stop David. And the grave couldn't stop Jesus Whatever you are facing today, we sit and realize that God is not finished with your life yet. No matter what, no matter what it is, I thank God that I don't have to stand before a huge sea and that is the problems that I face. That I don't have to get through a huge building on fortified city walls. That I don't have a nine foot nine giant in front of me and that I don't have to defeat the grave and death. So whatever I am facing, God is not finished with my life. And whatever you are facing, God is not finished with your life. Paul sums this up incredibly in one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is, if you're a follower of Jesus in here tonight, he has begun a good work in you. And you don't need to worry about doing all the hard work. He will continue the work. He will carry it on until when? The completion. When's that? When Christ Jesus returns. So it's only finished when He returns. As far as I know, He hasn't returned yet. So He's not finished with your life. He's not finished with my life. God is not finished yet. Until God takes you home or until Christ Jesus returns. Friends, you can be sure of this. Wherever you sit, whatever season of life you're in, whatever your situation, it might be bleak this next week, this situation you might, and right now might be horrible. Hear these words. God is not finished yet. Can I ask you to stand? Do not lose hope. Hope in God. If the Easter story tells me anything, if Good Friday and Easter Sunday tell me anything, it's this, God is not finished yet. God is not finished in your life. The sea couldn't stop Moses. The walls couldn't stop Joshua. The giant couldn't stop David. And the grave couldn't stop Jesus. He has done it in the past and He will do it in your life right now. Believe this, God is not finished yet.